0: Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine fingered host, Dan Johnson. Ladies and gentlemen. we're back. Welcome back. Thank you for tuning in. I might be the biggest jackass in the world, but I love doing what I'm doing. Um, I love talking about deer. I love talking to hunters such as today's guest, David Book, about successful hunts, how he, is, how he has been successful throughout the years and specifically on public land. I know a lot of you guys hunt public land. Um, I'm sure there's some frustration. With hunting public land, um, but David here today shares with us how he has been successful over the years, and uh, that's kind of what this entire podcast is about. Uh, and we'll get into a lot of that here in just a moment. But today, before we get into that podcast, um, I just want to talk a little bit about Ozonix and Ozonix. People saying that ozonics is unsafe. Uh, car exhaust is also unsafe. Um, but you're not going to close your garage door, turn your car out, uh, turn your car on, and just hang out there unless you're trying to kill yourself, which is probably a, a poor taste joke. But I'm at I'm on the FAQs page on ozonics website and i just want to read um a portion of that you know is ozone safe so when properly set up in an open air environment or in a ground blind you should not smell ozone when using ozonics it is not uncommon to smell ozone occasionally occasionally slash rarely as the wind varies and swirls if you notice um But if you smell it often, the wind has switched and you need to augment your setup accordingly. You always want to focus on the concentration of ozone on the downwind side of your setup, forcing the ozone to attack your human odor as quickly as possible as it leaves your body, not the odor directly on your body. And then it uh, says, you know, go to this page, um, How Ozonics Works page, and check it out. In summary, when your HR unit is set up correctly, you will not be exposed to ozone except when the wind shift shifts, at, and this is an indication to adjust or modify your setup. So don't suck or huff on an Ozonics. Um, I think that, uh, you know, explains it 100%. Uh, it's safe if you use it properly, um, and even if you don't use it 100% properly, it's still safe in my opinion. I've been using one for several years and have had no problems with my health because of any type of exposure to ozone. Again, I'm not, uh, you know, duct taping it to my face and breathing in direct O3. Now. Ozonics is a partner of this podcast, and they are offering a discount code to you, the listeners. And I forgot it, so I'm going to reach down here and grab it real quick. All right, I got it written down on a piece of paper. All right, so the Ozonics discount is $50 over all orders, $50 off for orders over 3.99 and all you have to do is enter the discount code 9fingers17 and that is the number 9 followed by the word fingers followed by the number 17 no spaces and you will receive $50 off of all orders over $399 i think that works out to 12% like a 12.5% discount on a $400 purchase now um, that's going to get your foot in the door with an HR 200 it's a kick ass unit and it will uh, allow you to experience ozone uh, in the stand and for me uh, I've, I highly recommend it uh, and you can take that with a grain of salt because again these guys pay me but I love using it uh, I've used it before this and I'll use it after this anyway I'm repeating myself and I know you guys came here to, what did you guys come here for? Oh, a podcast. Public Land, David Book. Here we go. All right, everybody. On the phone with me right now, all the way from Pennsylvania, Mr. David Book. How you doing today, David? Pretty good. How about yourself? I can't complain, man. Um, I know a while ago, I put out some feelers, and uh, I said, uh Named name some guys who are hardcore public land hunters and just seem to get it done every year. Your name popped up. Uh, one of your buddies shared your name and, uh, here we are today. We're going to, you're on the podcast now and we're going to talk about it.
1: All right. Yeah. Let's hope I don't bore your uh, audience here. You know,
0: <laughs> I, th- I think, uh, if you're successful, you have a lot to say. And, uh, Listeners are gonna are gonna eat it up. But before we get into all that stuff, what part of Pennsylvania do you live, and what do you do for a living?
1: Uh, Southwest Pennsylvania area, so Pittsburgh. I am working the oil field. I'm in field sales rep, so I travel a lot. Get to see a lot of land and do a little scouting on the side, you know, while I'm working. So, right, that's a win-win. It is. It is. So,
0: so. Um, oil, uh, the oil industry, oil and gas. I take it.
1: That is correct, yes, uh, sir.
0: Okay, so you're you're a salesman. Is that what you said? Field
1: sales, yeah. Field, field, okay, sales. what it, what
0: does that entail?
1: Uh, I just joke around and say I'm just a, a glorified invoice, you know, signer. No, <laughs> but um, so no, um, I sell like drill pipe, all the downhole rental type stuff for drilling for oil and natural gas. Um, so I do go to the rigs, talk to them guys and make sure they have everything they need and set up my guys to ship everything out to them.
0: Gotcha. Now, is this one, a, are you, you're a, a salesman for a company that sells the products, but are these oil rigs that are set up, are they privately owned or owned by like uh, industries?
1: Uh, it's all an industry. So okay. you have like an operator. Gotcha. It would be your big company that kind of runs a lease. And then the drillers or the rigs. They kind of subcontract them in.
0: Okay. So. I gotcha. So one thing that I have found, and you kind of alluded to it um, just moments ago, but a lot of these guys who are public land hunters uh, seem to have jobs that are not your typical, you know, Nine to five type jobs. They they work odds and ends hours, uh, which allows them the benefit to hunt um, when most guys are at work. Is that is that accurate with your line of work? That's pretty accurate. Yeah. So I do
1: a lot of on the fly my job. One day it could be nine to five. One day it could be three to eleven. One day it could just be you know it's just random. So I can kind of mix in. On a morning, just make up the work in the evening, depending, like, if I see a cold front's coming in. My job knows I don't really take vacation for anything but hunting also. So they know they, – my, my bosses now know that cold fronts mean I'm in the woods. Like, I've taught <laughs> them that. <so. laughs> um, and I take all my vacation in November. I'm right. a big November hunter. I don't really do the early season game.
0: Right. Okay. So your job then allows you to uh, – it's, it sounds like you're, it's flexible, right? As long as the work gets done, no, there's not going to be anybody bitching.
1: That's right. Yeah. As long as they get a big check, then I can keep making my check to buy hunting gear.
0: (laughs) Now (laughs) you mentioned that you, you know, you drive around a lot, you know, you're going to all these different oil rigs and, um, you're, you're kind of as a hardcore deer hunter like myself, you know, if you ask my wife, I'm the most dangerous driver in the world cuz I'm always looking out the window looking at, you know, land as we're driving down the road. But are you um, how how big is your radius? Okay, so
1: I my radius how I cover vast. So I go Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Kentucky, oh. Ohio, Michigan, uh New York. Sometimes they don't do much drilling there, and I can get into Virginia also, okay, so but my my main territory is Southwest PA and Southeast Ohio, which has been a bonus for my hunting here recently
0: okay so then you kind of I mean on those trips where you're doing work stuff, do you ever take time out of your day to stop at a piece of public land and and do some scouting while you're driving I do.
1: I do. And how I'll do that is I don't really take lunch breaks, which is nice. You know, you don't, you can do whatever you want on your lunch. You make your schedule. So if I know where I'm coming, you know, where I'll be going, I kind of scout the areas also for hunting, you know, get right. some
0: public land and do some shed hunting and so forth. Okay. So from where you live, what would you say mm-hmm. is the furthest you travel, uh, to hunt public land in that specific area, and I'm not talking like an out-of-state trip. Like uh, you're planning for for Iowa, I'm talking about mm-hmm. you know you you leave the house and then you come back to the house that night.
1: Two and a half hours. Two and a half hours. I will. All right. I will. I'll do that. And if sometimes I do it just for an evening hunt, right? If I can take the day off and I know the evening's gonna be good, depending on weather, whatever it gives me that says I need to be in the woods. I'll take that time off, I'll drive there, and then when I get out of the woods at night, I'm not dragging a big buck, I'm just dragging my butt home. So.
0: Okay, but. so is that, uh, and that's going to kind of lead us into this, um, how many different pieces of public land would you say, you, and, and we can use last year for for example, but how many pieces, and you can even answer this in total acres, of public land did you actively hunt in 2016
1: that's a bad year to go off of because i honestly killed both my buck. i killed one in a day and a half and one in a in the first morning in Ohio. <laughs> so, that was, that was, that's, that's a, a really bad good example year for me it was a real bad example um not my biggest year that year but two solid deer that i had to do because i never doubled out like that in right. within a five-day
0: span but so, so on average on
1: average on average uh, I just have to say just a, just a few I mean if we're counting complete properties because I'll get into some you know wildlife management areas where there's thousands of acres so I can't really put a number on you know, sometimes I have little five acre honey holes I just know it's a little triangle that's you know owned by a township you're allowed to hunt and I can squeeze in because nobody knows about it okay. you know sometimes I'm just gaining permission from people to walk their property to get them my property or park somewhere it's all different it's it's unlimited with public really, or, or what I call in Pennsylvania, it's a bad thing, but we call it garbage land. So it's just township land that every Billy Bob redneck hunter can run in and smoke a cigarette and, you know, hunt, try to shoot deer. So, you know, they're not always necessarily a state force or something like that. You know, I just do my research on maps and I use some other things where I can see property lines and see where i can legally get in somewhere without getting in trouble that's what it is because you can have 15 acres and five stands i mean like nothing or six stands it's high pressure it's right pretty out of control in pennsylvania
0: you know and and you sent you sent me some pictures of your wall and Mm -hmm. you know i know a lot of guys in pennsylvania who would absolutely die for the bucks that you have on the wall Mm -hmm. um you know so you mentioned that on some of the this township land i want to ask you to dig into that just a little bit this township land that you're hunting is this just like small towns and then the outskirts of those towns
1: um sometimes it's in town sometimes like hunt you know kind of suburban land as you would call it you know what i mean like mm-hmm. getting in where homeowners are and you know, where like there might be 80 acres that the township owns and that township allows hunting. You know I mean? There's Good. no ordinance against it. You know, you just check the ordinances, make sure it's legal. You know, you don't want to get in trouble for anything like that. And right. our terrain is steep. So a lot of people don't like to climb big hills or climb up a rocky ravine. It's not necessarily mountain hunting, you know I mean? But it's steep terrain, you know, you're not gently rolling hills like Southern Ohio, anything like that, you know, you have to work for it to get in there.
0: Okay. So on, on this township land, um, you mentioned it, it, t- is it typically smaller acres? I know you mentioned 80, uh, is 80 the biggest uh, or, and how many of these quote unquote township properties do, do you I, hunt?
1: I, a lot a lot uh-huh. i don't even know an exact number i just yeah. have folders full of stuff because i'll forget it all You mm-hmm. what i mean so i always have spots to rely on because a lot of years i'll go back to a spot and there's five stands six stands or three stands or yeah. and uh i do i do hang some presets i'll do that and then i do a lot of hang and hunt also yeah so i have a mixture you know I'll, sometimes i'll just leave sticks in no stand because nobody wants to do work and bring their stand in to con somebody sticks yeah yeah, you know, so if I just carry, you know, lightweight stand on my back, I'll do that too. But okay, yeah, lots of land though, lots of different opportunities.
0: Right. And so would you say this is more of a suburban style of hunt that you, that you take advantage of, or is this out in the, you know, in the country?
1: Honestly, 50, 50 split. Okay. It is complete split. Yeah. Okay. I don't limit myself to any one thing. That's the biggest mistake I feel.
0: Okay. Wherever I can get in wood, I do it. Alright. So, then my next question is, you know, you mentioned that some of these, you'll walk into a 15 acre piece and you'll see five, six, seven tree stands, right? So, it's pretty, mm. it's pretty pressured. So, mm-hmm. when you, when you, first off, how do you find these pieces of property?
1: um honestly driving around on my own time a lot at home and you know local kind of driving around find that um word of mouth you know people love to talk and brag and hunting and they love to talk about where they see giants and stuff and it's really hard to take anybody's word for something but when you do hear that kind of got to just keep that in the back burner and then i use a mapping i don't even know if i'm I don't even know the name of it off the top of my head, but it gives me a bunch of property lines. A lot of times I'll just sit there on um, Onyx. That's what's called, Onyx Hunt. And I'll just scroll and just randomly look on my iPad or my phone for a couple hours. Just keep looking, looking until I see something that piques my interest. And you can't go from a major, what I've learned, is a major like pinches that everybody, I love funnels, but everybody now knows the hunt that. Yeah. So I kind of hit the smaller ones that aren't as obvious that people wouldn't just straight look at. And that's usually,
0: you don't find stands in those more hidden areas like that. So it sounds to me like the average hunter, quote unquote, will Mm -hmm. walk into the timber, they'll see a good pinch or they'll see a funnel and they'll set up camp right there along with all the other, um, along with all the other, uh, tree stands that are already there. Now, when you walk into a timber, um, let's say to, to scout it, are you mm-hmm. are you looking to set up away from that then, or how do you approach where your tree stand location is going to be?
1: I love. Okay, yeah. So I love to scout March. Like I love that absolutely. You can see every bit of sign
0: from the year before,
1: right. and a lot of times guys still have their stands in woods, so it can give me a rough idea good chance there'll be somebody here but i do go when i go into any past woods i spend that whole day or whatever a lot amount of time and try to hit every single spot of that woods that i can in one day take some notes and a lot of notes in my head i remember a lot of it because when i know that spot's right i know that spot's right and it's hard to forget that because you don't find them all the time right so i do hit your typical areas i will i'll go check all those spots it's like the beautiful you know funnel the beautiful top of a ridge see where everybody's at and then I kind of break down and go into your less pretty areas to hunt, I guess would be the way to put it, you know, the less appealing area. And I try to get in between that, you know, when I can find areas where I feel the deer is skirting around these people, which doesn't always work. I try to get away from people first and foremost, but if I can find those areas the secondary areas, that's what I like to hunt.
0: Okay. So what do describe those secondary areas? What do they look like? Um, you know, and where are they located let's say in your typical bedding travel food source uh you know routine that deer often t- often take
1: so in our area like i i just have learned that there is very rare do you have that just this is set bedding you know what i mean because we're not bedding and we're not food i don't hunt like that like i I just don't feel I'm a good enough hunter to be honest because I, right. I can get that done in early season. I have not learned that yet. I don't know how guys do it in this type of terrain. I, I can't figure it out because you could have a patch of woods that's just oaks everywhere. How are you right. going to pinpoint what, what acorn he wants to eat that day? So a lot of mine is thick, thick in a pinch. So if you have, you know, typical ridge, everybody's hunting a ridge and there, you might just find one little bench on that flat where you can see where deer would probably skirt around the the main funnels that look pretty i try to find stuff like that in thick if if i can shoot 30 yards that's pretty crazy you know what i mean it doesn't happen often where i'm hunting okay Hmm.
0: so you know a lot of sign throughout the year is made nocturnally by these bucks, and, and with a state like Pennsylvania and a high pressure pieces of property like what you're describing, um, you know how do you know when you need to move in on these deer? Are you running trail cameras? Um, is it a are these pieces of property that you've hunted several times before? So you just straight up stay out of them until it gets good? How do you know when to when to go capitalize on that scouting that you did preseason
1: um little mix of those some spots i know just windows does seem to pop like i base all my hunting like I, I like to hunt november 1st through you know 24 forever you know the previous year i've always kind of done the previous year i just keep the cameras up all year where they don't get stolen yeah. and uh, i'll just grab them and kind of check and see what they've said so some spots it's definitely just time I put in, I know come November 5th, that that's when it's on. Some of those are starting to smell good to the buck and I just get in there and hang out and other spots it's previous years. I know, you know, for example, I hunt a little piece of property in Ohio and, um, I knew I checked the cameras, which I don't do often come early November and I checked them because I'd never been there and I just snuck in and I just noticed from my camera that every time We had south winds that flipped to a north-northwest. Those buck would come back in. There's obviously a cold front, and they would hit a scrape line.
0: And so everything's a little different, you know? Okay. So then what what happens? How do you approach a scenario where you know a buck's in there, right? You know Mm – you kind of have this feeling that, okay, this buck is not stupid. He's – in in your you're kinda of sharing the area at this moment of time with another hunter who may already be in there or um he comes in after you're after you're already in the stand. But um this this buck is obviously skirting the area uh because of pressure. How do you approach that? How do you approach the pressure from the other hunters? Oh,
1: stay away. <laughs> um no, I, it's it's kind of hard. So if I go in and I just have people start to fill up around me, I just have to chalk it up as a loss and move on. Yeah. But usually I go around those days, just cold fronts, by far cold fronts. And yeah. I wait. And a lot of guys are impatient. They just, it's November 1st. I have to be in the woods, you know, the rough yeah. on and they're going for it. So If I get too much pressure on me, I just chalk it up as a loss and move on. If I do it how I normally do it and I'm patient and wait till that time is right, and usually where I'm going, you know, I can can sneak away from people. I never really lay an eye on a person
0: too often,
1: you know. I find, like, this little nooks and crannies
0: to get away. So your main focus then on your scouting and going in is to find those locations where others just aren't going or are not willing to go. That's correct.
1: Or okay. sometimes it's way closer than anybody would ever imagine. You know, people think they're doing better by going in a little deeper where I stay closer. You know, right. it's, everything's different. Every area's a little different.
0: Talk to us a little bit about that because I find that interesting. I've talked with probably three public land hunters that have expressed to me that they hunt they hunt fairly close to the road or they hunt fairly close to um uh you know they let the pressure go by and then the deer kind of loop around and are coming back towards that area so when they're coming out of the woods the deer can bust them too So, um, talk to us a little bit about, and maybe elaborate on what you mean when you say you hunt closer than everybody else. Well,
1: I mean, it's kind of simple, I guess. To me, it's simple, I guess, when, you know, in the type of terrain we hunt, when you're, especially in, you know, you get bigger woods and you have guys that, what do you always hear all the time? Put in your two mile hike, you know, get past the pressure. So, and obviously podcast, you know, like wired hunt and what you do Guys are learning more now. Right. So what's going to happen? Your average Joe is now going to attempt to do that stuff. They're going to do it incorrectly and just let, you know, snap, send everything. <laughs> They're just going to go completely, you know what I mean? They're going to mess it up. I'm not saying I'm, I'm by far, I want to say this now, I guess I should have said earlier, I'm not doing anything that anybody in the world can't do. Right. It's a little bit harder work. Just pay a little more attention to detail. But so, Sometimes, you know, you, you only have to go, you find an odd funnel that's 60 yards from the road, you know, and, right. and you just have to cap, light. you have to see it. It's, it's something that I guess it's hard to explain. You just know it's right. I'm sure you have the same thing in Iowa, yep. right? There's those areas that you just know are right and you know what people do. I don't know how your pressure is, so, but you just know to be
0: there. That's a hard one to explain. So, so- Talk to me a little bit about how the deer on the properties, you know, on the, the public lands that you hunt react, especially these bucks, because there's a couple bucks that I'm looking at right now. Uh, and that, that, uh, eight pointer to be specific, who that's a, that's a giant in any state, in my opinion. And, um, I want to, I want to know about how these, these three-year-olds that you're shooting, you know um, Mm -hmm. are any of these bucks are four-year-olds would you guess to be four-year-olds
1: that one there i felt was a four and a half year old i actually have pictures of uh his son now on camera i believe identical so i've been keeping an eye on him yeah but uh yeah i felt he was a four and a half year old and i feel there's one other one that palmated 10 point i feel he might have been a four and a half year old but I guess I've always messed up. Never really aged deer because usually I'm so excited when I shoot something like that, I forget to keep the jaw down. So. Right, right. And then, I, yeah, and I always think of it like two weeks later. I'm like, oh man, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so, so um, talk to us about how you feel the deer on the public lands that you hunt are affected by pressure, pressure from other hunters.
1: Nocturnal. Yeah. Nocturnal. It, it, they're by far. And, and you're never going to catch a deer, in my opinion. Like I said, other people know how to do it, but me, I don't. You're never just going to catch them willy-nilly walking to go eat an open field. You know what I mean? It's just not going to happen. So I usually wait, like I said, for fronts. Like that deer in specific, specifically, I um, waited for a front, walk, walked in when I knew the time was right, and killed him my first morning hunting. I kill a lot of deer doing that this first morning I ever go in. I got one picture of him and I knew it was a good deer wasn't a real good picture but I got one picture and I knew there was something something special with the time length on them and I was like I gotta get in there because I had an idea where they'd be going and that's a that's a 60 yarder we'll call not very far from the road and yeah I knew guys were hunting the tops of some nice ridges around me and I knew that I had the combination in my favor of pressure in other areas a front and it was like October 25th 26th and I knew I knew what was getting to be on their mind was that cold front, right so actually passed the double drop time buck that morning. I felt he was like a two and a half year old he had like two little drops, and yeah, that's the guy I ended up putting an arrow in the the big eight there so
0: so you felt that there was pressure on this ridge from other hunters, and this buck had then changed his pattern when you when you are having these encounters with these bucks is it right at last light when you're when you're shooting them or is it uh or right at the uh you know the break of day or are any of these you know just so happen to be midday bucks late morning early afternoon type of scenarios
1: probably blow a lot of people's minds on this
0: one but most of my bucks are mid-morning like
1: eleven thirty, ten forty five. 30 i feel that has to do with guys get impatient and leave um now, that deer there, it's, I would hate to go back to the same deer, but I shot him. It was, I believe that deer was 2012, and we had, like, this big hurricanes coming up the East Coast. Yep. And um, so I was waiting there for a while because we had warm weather, 70, 80-degree stretch, and I knew that cold front was coming from that hurricane. That front was pushing in, and it was supposed to bring the rain about 10, 11 a.m. I thought, oh, this is great. This is perfect. It came in quicker. They were talking. It was going to be in seven thirty, eight 8 a.m. I, I didn't care. I had to get in the woods. And I got on the woods on him, and I ended up shooting him at 8 a.m. And he died like 15 yards from my stand, actually. At what pretty, time? 8 a.m. 8 a.m. Okay.
0: And October 25th. That, that's because of the weather you felt. I, yeah.
1: He postured up. It was a spot. I don't call much. I don't really believe in calls at all. Unless they'll circle downwind, unless the, I have the perfect setup to do it and no deer could circle downwind on the air. So I, I played around with a little bit of a bleat and just had a, a small spike come running through. And you know, in my mind, I'm like, here it is. Here's a doe. Big big daddy's chasing. And I see little spikes on there. I'm like, "Oh no!" And then he come up out, postured on that deer, pushed him away. Come straight to where I was calling, but he couldn't. He wanted to circle downwind, but he couldn't. So he cut in front of me at twenty. It's like a twenty-two yard shot.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Now, when when you mention no calling, right? I've I've ruined <laughs> a ton of sets from calling, whether that's rattling or um, you know, or grunting, or you know, just trying to basically be too blind calling, so to speak. You know, now I typically only uh i very rarely do any calling these days uh, just because of what you said now in some of these high pressure areas like uh where, where you're hunting everybody probably rattles and everybody probably grunts is that why you're not uh calling or is it because of the if they do hear they're going to come down to you
1: Full disclosure here: I watched a lot of monster bucks as a kid, so I definitely banged some horns thinking I was yeah. hunting the Midwest growing up. Yeah. Um, it's com It's a combination of both, to be honest. I feel mature buck in our area. I've heard it too many times that they're just not going to respond because I hear a lot of these guys. You know, they won't blind call, but they won't call. They'll call when they see a deer. I blind call it has to be the right situation, and it's very subtle. I'll throw maybe a bleat and a couple of, like, tending drums to get in there. But I bring a rattling bag, and to be honest, I don't even know why I bring it. I think it's just because I want to be able to use it one day, and so I rattled one in. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> it's just the extra weight on me all the time. Right. But uh, I, it's a combination. I feel your big boys just know. And that goes. I hunt, hunt Ohio also. And, you know, it's it's pressure there also. It's not prime private land. Same thing. I just I don't do it. I feel that these deer – if they made it that far, they know what's going on no matter where they are.
0: Okay. So, you know, you do, you've done your preseason scouting, okay? And you found some areas that uh, are kind of good. Um, you know, you don't know, you, you really don't know what it, it's going to be like until you're actually in there. Now, let's say you get into an area, you see deer movement but it's not within shooting range of where you're at. What's, what's your approach after that?
1: Well, most of the time I'm hunting November. That's what I right. do. Right. So if I'm doe hunting and I know it's early season, I'll hunt some spots on the fringes of places, not where I want to buck hunt. I'll move, I'll chase them around, you know, play the game with doe and chase them, sharpen my skills early on. But usually in November, I pick that spot from a preseason scouting and I know that something's going to happen there. You know, you can't, they're chasing, you know I mean? I catch a lot of my, most of my bucket killer, hot on a doe. I'm yelling at them to stop them. If it's consistent, I'll just move. But if it's inconsistent, you know, it's just, you know, first deer I've seen, they go there. And I see it a couple of times that morning. I, I'm not going to base it off of one morning. You just can't right. do that, you know. Right. So you got to stick, I don't want to say stick, but when I scouted that, I had a reason to be there. But like I said, if it becomes very consistently out of range, I'm pulling that stand and running over there. So, Right.
0: How many trail cameras do you typically run throughout the year? Um, less. More and
1: more I run less cameras, to be honest. I have a couple spots I'll just keep them out all year, and I'll bounce them around. I, used, I got in that trail camera game for a while, and uh, it just didn't – I was chasing pictures and not chasing deer, if that right. makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So once I know there's good deer in the area or I see some good sign that tells me there's a mature buck, I don't need a camera to do it. You know, it's, okay. you know, it's going to be hard for me to pass a high 130s eight point in Pennsylvania or a, a 140s 10. You know, we all want the booner, but you have to be realistic in your numbers, you know, right. the percentages. Ohio, I run cameras. Two all year there I run in the spots I hunt and uh, it's a little bit more consistent there, but I'm new to Ohio hunting really new, but it, it's nice. I killed one my first year by myself hunting there. So it's a little bit easier, even though it's still pressure, but it's easier.
0: Right. So, you know, you go in, so do you have a hit list when you go into to a season or are you making every decision based off of, sign you know sign sign brings you to an area but how you how do you determine what deer you're going to shoot and if you know that that sign was made by a mature buck
1: my hit list is more like the dream list in Pennsylvania you get them deer but they tend to disappear if I I'll hang cameras like you said summer or you know it it all depends it all depends situation but uh I guess what we're what was the question again I guess I, I missed that you're saying so how do you? What was
0: your question? Yeah. So how do you determine what you know what you're going after? I mean, how do you know that the sign that you see during scouting is of a caliber of buck that you that you want?
1: A, a lot of mine is terrain, more okay. than your rubs and scrapes. If I if I find an area where I have big rubs, I mean, the, nothing tells you more. I mean, obviously, a small deer can make a big rub. But when there's a big cluster of rubs and you're talking, you know, five foot tall rubs, you get them, you know, that's a big mature deer, or he's he's at least a big body deer, you know, you can tell. And and sometimes, you know, you'll get tracks and you know, they're big tracks. It's harder. You know what I mean? But the big rubs will give it away, but I'm, I'm not, I usually know what deer in area just from cameras or me personally scouting, you know, right. Checking where I know they move in evenings. We're allowed the, the spotlight. In Pennsylvania, you're allowed to do that. So I'll actually do that a little bit. And uh, if I get one of those guys, you know, I see a big guy in the area, I know he's in the area. I know he's there. And just put that on your list, put that in the back of your head, and try to get it done with them.
0: Okay. So let's say you have uh, a scenario where, you know, you go in. It's November, and you're, you know, you're getting ready to start hunting this rut. You go into an area that's you know that you're not seeing much in how how long do you give a particular area before you call it quits and you're on to the next one well
1: i would say man, there's not a specific time Those areas each area is different i have a, like i have a major hub i hunt and i it's one that takes me like a mile and a half walk to get to and and i'll sit there for a week it, and i'm not very i'm not like that often because you got to move to wherever the sign is but I know, come November fifth or ninth, I'll put three to five days on that because I knew it can happen there, you know. And I knew it will happen there. I knew it's just a hub. But usually, you know, two days or so, and I just got to move on because I'm on. I only have so much time, you know. I'm still a guy at work every day. I, I put my two weeks, you know, with weekends and so forth. You know, I might get sixteen, seventeen, eighteen days to hunt, you know, every day, dark to dark. And if I can't get it done in two days or so, they're not moving, I gotta hop. It might be the same plot, you know, plot of wood that just might not be on fire. And it bit me sometimes where I've left cameras up and, uh, specific. I, uh, jumped in the spot on November 5th and then I moved to November 6th. And on my cameras, I had a good buck on the cameras that were running that funnel. the opposite day. And I didn't get a buck that year.
0: (laughs) Okay. So... You've determined then that, you know, it's kinda it's kinda dead and you it's and it's more of a feel than it is an actual set number, right? Yeah, I found a lot of dough betting. Okay. I like dough betting. I like where I know those
1: where them girls are hanging out and a big boy's events are gonna come in. Even you know, you get later in the rut. You know he's gonna break off the dough and he's gonna come looking for more. He's gonna come look those areas over. He has to. That's what they're here for you know they right. they breed survive it's so pretty simple to me i always say this it's it's food it's water and it's the good stuff so yeah. i mean right. it's pretty simple they, they stick to that and that's what they want right food water cover yeah it's just a few things
0: so why think you, we go ahead sir wh- why don't you put any time in during early season let's say like early october
1: I uh, I feel I'll spoil my spots. I don't. Okay. Never really had that set that set area where here's your you know soybeans and here's your bedding. You know, get closer to bedding. You know what I mean? Because you're never going to come to feed. And, you know, a little later. I I just don't have that type of terrain. I would love to. It would be amazing. But it's just it doesn't exist in my world.
0: Right. So you don't get to become successful in the timber without, in my opinion, um, a couple moments, let's say like some aha moments, right? Where it's just like, oh my God, I've been doing this wrong for so many years. Did you happen to have any aha moment or anything that just clicked one day in the woods for you that made you realize that maybe you've been doing it wrong for a long time and now you know how to do it right? I guess... I wouldn't say there was any one specific. There's
1: just a bunch. You know, there's just multiple things. I I would, you know, you see the guys that weren't successful and you see how they hunt and then you're like, wait, I'm doing the same thing as that guy. Got to change something. You know, go to your local archery shops and listen and usually do opposite what a lot of those guys are doing because a lot (laughs) of those guys, you know, (laughs) are just telling stories about the big bucks they've seen in their backyard that they never kill. So it's just a combination. You know, I started with a a bear bow and aluminum arrows and walking around the woods. I'd probably never seen more buck in one year of my life than that year. I just walked around sat down. I was young and knew nothing. And then I just took the information and just kept seeing what deer do and just tried to see what they would do and what I felt buck do.
0: Can you... Do you have an example of maybe just one that you could share with us uh, and and be as specific as possible of one thing that you've learned uh, as a bow hunter that has maybe got you the most success?
1: One thing is about patience. I mean, that probably sounds so simple, but patience and, and just attention to detail. You have to pay attention to detail from scent to everything. What other people don't think helps, helps. I mean, and just and sit it out. I mean, you have to. You have to be in there all day. It, it just you have to.
0: You're an all day guy. I'm an
1: all day guy. I, my friends laugh at me. I'll sit two weeks straight, dark to dark. Man,
0: I need to figure out how to do that because I have. I feel I have patience, but I also have ADD. So it's like <laughs> I'll sit there, I'll sit there, and I'll just like. I, I'm the kind of person who, who I'm always second guessing my other spots. Right, I'm going okay. Well, I can't be two places in one, so I'll hunt this today, and then I'll hunt this or in the morning, and then I'll hunt this stand at the night during you know for the evening sit. Is that something that I mean? When did you learn? How old were you when you're like, hey man, I just I have to start sitting all day.
1: Probably I would say early to mid twenty you know I would start and probably about mid-20s I'm 31 now so not too. you know I've been I've been hunting since I was 15 you know running around on the ground with the bear bell you know mm-hmm. thinking I was gonna be on real tree monster bucks and <laughs> you know <laughs> um, so I, I can I guess oh, mid-20s I just I realized um I guess I do have an aha moment for you I was young dumb and a decoy in the woods i have no idea what i was thinking just watching too many movies and i left to go to subway because i was hungry and i came back and there was a scrape on the ground and my decoy was mashed into pieces 20 yards from my stand <laughs> so that could be your aha moment wow. and, and that was one of those things where i realized you have to do it now why if somebody maybe messed with me into did that because I, I really don't know i've never had a a deer respond to a decoy in my life until I wasn't there. But that that kind of would be one that clicked that you got to be in there all day. Gotcha. So you were saying you don't really put in those all days, and I think yeah. I've heard you say bad knees before. Well, on your pre-
0: Yeah, I mean, I got I do have bad knees, and I got a a bad back. I mean, I'm just I'm my body's kind of falling apart just because of my <laughs> youth. But um, I'm with you. Uh, yeah. no
1: ACLs or anything on me, man. i beat my body up. Right. Uh, i had both mine
0: re- both mine repaired. I got slip discs uh before in, in my back. So I'm not. I have to stand up and sit down and, and in a way which sounds dumb keep moving. Uh no, it doesn't. I do the same thing. Yeah. So mm-hmm. but stay then a again, half hour,
1: stay in a half hour.
0: Yep. But then again, like you said, I'm getting all this information from trail cameras that's telling me you got, dude, you have to start hunting all day long. So I'm just, you know, I have to prepare myself for some of these sits that are going to be all day long in some of these funnels and some of these pinch points or travel corridors yep. or whatever. And I, I'm just going to have to deal with it. You know what I mean? I got a question for you. <laughs> How do you not do it? If you have a sign,
1: If you have the camera proof, how do you know? How do you pull yourself out of the woods? It's what we live for,
0: right? We live Uh, for that.
1: Yeah,
0: that's a great point. Will
1: it? Mm -hmm. I'll
0: be in pain
1: to kill a deer. Yeah,
0: I guess (laughs) that's one of those things where I never really. I mean, last year and the year before were two years where were two years where. Let's see. How do I put this? Were two years where I didn't necessarily have the right type of uh, intel, as far as mm-hmm. you know what trail cameras were telling me. But last year, or two years ago, and this past year, I got you know like ten a.m., eleven o'clock, two thirty p.m. Oh yeah. You know, so yeah. When, when like you said, when I'm getting information like that, it's kind of hard not to. You know if you're out of the timber, you're a dipshit, right yeah,
1: yeah yeah I have to agree with you on that. i mean it's it's impossible if i yeah. if it's November, I'm in the woods in less work is dragging me out of the woods by finding me in the woods, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean yeah. or it's something crazy i mean i I have to be in there i it, it's rough I'm just thinking right now how I couldn't sit there on a November sixth morning and stay in there all day even if it's 75 degrees out because yeah. you don't know when that's going to happen i've shot one of those buck there in them pictures, and then pictures i believe he was 131 it was an eight point and it was 74 degrees i think it was like present like election day or something like that i can't remember it was early november Yeah. and um yep put a put an arrow in him at 9 45 somewhere around there 74 degrees out i Yeah. You just have to do it. You have to, I kind of wonder a little off subject. And, uh, I kind of wonder though, with your type of terrain, if you took some of the tactics from our type of terrain and got away from those conventional funnels and got back where it is a little more, you know, the little secret spots, what you could get done. I, I don't know your terrain at all. I just applied for preference points. I'm going to make a trip there in probably two to three years. Yeah. But I wonder how that would work out for you.
0: Yeah, that's a good, that's a, you know, it's, it's kind of cool having conversations like this because it does make you think about your own strategy, uh, not just yours, but mine as well. And, uh, definitely, you know, there's definitely, there's spots on my farm that I have not, I have not hunted before just because, you know, typically there's not a lot of sign, but I can see how, Because of all the pressure in certain parts of the farm, these might be a little bit more uh, to these deer's liking because there's not, uh, you know, there's not any pressure.
1: Any pressure is pressure. If it's just you on a thousand acres or it's, you know, 15 guys on a hundred acres, pressure is pressure. The big boys are going to figure it out. Uh, You know, it just happens. They. There's no way we can be virtually scent free. I'm I'm a freak about scent, so yeah. pressure is pressure. You know, just switch it up. It doesn't hurt. You know, right. I mean, it never hurts to just switch it
0: up. Right. So, to the public, to the public land guy out there who is dealing with pressure and you know maybe is in a rut uh, in a in a routine of doing the same thing every year, what advice would you give to them on uh, you know? simple things that they can do to be a little bit more successful in the timber.
1: Always have a good friend that can keep you in the woods because we always get down and out and you got to have that one guy that tells you to stick in there. (laughs) No, (laughs) you know, Um, so I I guess you're saying back to that question was if you're down and out and how do you keep yourself in the woods is kind of what you're saying there,
0: right? Just like tips, you know, tips are tips or tricks or or things that you've learned that you could share with a guy who who is uh, in a rut and not just from a on a yearly but you know they they go out they spend the time in the woods but they're just not successful
1: just step back and look at what you're doing you know look at the big picture step back look at that map look where you are you know even if you just print it out get a little little bit more old school print it on a piece of printer paper and just put dots on where you hunted and, you know, and terrain maps. They have those ones that overlay now. I I don't buy all that fancy stuff. They look awesome, but, you know, set them side by side and just keep looking and putting them there and, and just look at the little area you never looked at. There, there's something I, – I say this and maybe it's crazy, but every patch of woods has a big buck in it. You know, if if it holds deer, there has to be – an uh, there's an older deer there somewhere, yeah. you know, and eventually it will be i mean they're half every patch of wood so just step back and look what you're doing and don't stop learning never stop i will say this again i'm I'm, i don't consider myself a good hunter at all i just consider myself someone who works hard you know guys that are shooting booners every year you know those big name guys those are good hunters i'm just a regular guy that just works hard and just pay attention in detail step back and Right when you think you know it all, you don't. That deer can <laughs> approve you, you don't.
0: I'm going to disagree with you uh, there. Okay. Be, because you hunt on a piece of property that – on pieces of property that don't hold booners, right? There's not there's not big booners in all the properties that you hunt. No, no. I mean, right. they're
1: there here and there every once in a while.
0: Right. But what I'm getting at is you're, you're consistently – Successful in a very high pressure scenario. The people, and I don't know if you were alluding to like big name celebrities, like the the entertainers or anybody else, but. Oh, uh, no,
1: I don't watch that stuff. The good yeah. guys, you know, you're <laughs> on right, right. and In fault, those types. Yeah, very good hunters.
0: <laughs> but again, remember, these guys are hunting in Illinois, Iowa, Wisconsin, big buck states, quote unquote big buck yeah. states. And you're hunting yeah, public. Yeah public land so you know that you're you're, it's almost like people put antlers size as the antler size the bigger the buck you kill makes you a successful hunter you know what i mean the bigger inches which that's not the case Mm -hmm. you know i would put i would put a, a public land hunter from michigan or pennsylvania who is consistently successful up against any one of those, if there was some dumbass competition that was out there, you know what I mean? Because (laughs) I appreciate you saying that. Well, and and I'm not just saying it to you. I'm saying it to every Mm -hmm. public land hunter that's out there, the industry. And this is me kind of going off on a rant. The hunting industry Mm -hmm. bases everything off antler size, which is so stupid. I agree. It's so stupid. I agree. And because you know, all these people then start bitching and complaining and get, you know there's 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 some tension if they don't kill a big buck or, or a, a big antlered buck right but there's no mm-hmm. booners there's there's not a like Iowa I'm probably going to have one maybe two booners on my property this year uh I, yeah and, th- and the same the same acreage in Pennsylvania is going to have zero hell, it might not even have a 150 or a 140 class buck on some of these pieces. of product. Or a
1: 120. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah.
0: So to, yeah. So for someone to say, you know, and again, even ranking whether or not someone's a good hunter or not is, is kind of ridiculous. But still, it is, the, but... The, the skill that it takes is what I'm getting at. Um, you know, I, I take it that if you moved to Iowa and you applied these same tasks, tactics that you're currently using on public land in iowa which there's not very much of uh you would still be you would still be successful just on bigger antlered deer
1: yeah, that's i'm hoping in three years to do that <laughs> <laughs> amen right <So, laughs> yes yeah, right. yeah i mean that's uh, like i said put them preference points and i'm going to give it a try but that's no right. i agree in the industry i think disrespects the animal there's yeah. i feel it's just There's so much lost respect for these animals. You know, I, we all talk about killing. Yeah, it's great. But I've had years and I'm down and out, you know, you don't harvest an animal, but that last day, and I've done it multiple times where it's your last day of archery season. You kind of look up look at them stars. You're about to, you know, put a nice hike out of the woods and you're just kind of thankful you got to do it all year. You got to chase them, you know? And I mean, we have big ones. Don't get me wrong. i I messed up big time on one that will haunt me for, for a long time, and it was probably a mid-160s, and I shoot all the time. And I was not rattled. I just, you know, I went through the motions, and I, I'm a low shooter. I like to aim low on a deer's heart because where I'm from, they they natural movement is the drop, you know what I mean? That's how they move. And I shot low. He was 10, 12 yards, and I should have aimed mid-body. I watched the mid '60s walk out of mid '160s walk out of my life. So you know, I can talk for hours about this stuff. I love it. You know. And, yeah. And one thing we didn't touch, if you don't mind, is yeah. scent control. And, I mean, I start my scent control regimen one month out of season. No, I'm, I mean, I don't. My house, there's no wash the clothes and scent free everything. Oh, regular clothes everything from yeah. one month out and well all year long it's sent free on all the clothes but when i'm you know it, it's hunting stuff you know i like to use dead down wind and i like ozone and and i use that non-stop i mean on i take chlorophyll pills and i never use regular deodorant from pretty much you know end of august beginning of september all the way till march
0: you take what and kind of pills chlorophyll never okay. heard of it well, I've heard of them, but what, remind me again what they do.
1: The chlorophyll, it's in plants, leaves, you know, right. and it just it gets rid of scent. It helps, you know, it's like an internal deodorizer. Yeah, and, and they're cheap. You can go to any, hell, they might sell them at Walmart. I don't know, but you can go to any old store and, you know, like a vitamin shop, those type of stores, you know, you have them around at the malls and stuff, and you just go buy a bottle. I take one a day. Just kind of... Kind of tastes planty, you know, have kind of During like a green season. taste to it. Excuse me, sorry. Uh, about a month out, I start doing it, and I do it all the way from August, September into February, March. I don't bring ozone in a tree. Right. I just don't like carrying battery-operated stuff. I want to be a little more old school. But I have an ozone machine that I pump into my clothes, and I probably do it too much. But I do it every time, and I wash my clothes every every. If I hunt four hours, those clothes are getting washed. Okay. There's a deer's nose is in, impossible to beat. So I don't know how somebody can be relaxed and say, Oh, I only hunted four hours, just put the ozone on it. Like I'm washing it, I'm cleaning it and I'm running a half hour ozone on it.
0: Yeah. I mean,
1: everybody gets winded at some point. How can you even not think about throwing your clothes in a washer after, I don't care if you had them on for an hour. Right. It blows my mind. It blows my mind how people do that. I have ozone in my truck. I mean, it's probably like unsafe amounts, but <laughs> you know, yeah. I am strict on my scent control. Just right. You got to be.
0: That's and crazy. And these big boys, they know. Yeah. What were you saying is crazy. Well, I'm I'm the opposite. So like I I really I run ozone in the tree with me, and okay. I wash my clothes less because of that. So I. I I wash my I man I I bet you I only do it. Let's say I'm hunting a real hard, and it depends on if I sweat, right? If I sweat a lot, um, mm-hmm. then I'll then I then I'll probably wash them once every two days. But I used to be like you, where I was washing them at the end of every day of hunting. Uh, so you know, if I was hunting 16 days, I was washing my clothes 16 times. But now mm-hmm. I really don't need to. Um, I mean, anyway, the, the way I do it, the way I feel, um, I'll do the ozone, at, uh, in the bag at night, um, you know, that mm-hmm. ozonics closet, but yeah, but then I bring the ozonics in the tree with me and, mm-hmm. and I, I feel that that prevents me from having to wash my clothes so much. And I do you feel, ozone. but do you know, yeah, I mean, nobody <laughs> knows maybe I need to yeah, pop popping, exactly. <laughs> popping some chloroform pills. Yeah, chlorophyll. chlorophyll. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not chloroform. Yeah, chlorophyll. I'll pass out. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, I was like, no, don't do that. No, <laughs> no um, yeah, yeah. You better give a, a user or a listener warning not to pop right. chloroform. Chlorophyll, <laughs> so,
0: not chloroform. Chlor-
1: yes. no. To me, is before we had us, and what did we do? We washed our clothes all the time, right? Right. Right. So just because we got this now, it's a luxury. But if you stack it, you know, stack them odds in your favor. Everything you can do, and that goes to cold fronts, pressure, you know, everything like that. You know, you got to stack as many of them as you can in your favor. The moon, you know, I I, be- I believe in the moon to a point, but I, I pay attention to it. a lot of my bucks have come around that full moon. But I'm also always hunting fronts around that full moon. So, but if you can stack every little centimeter that you can stack of anything in your favor, you have to do it. Right. You know, that's publicly and that's privately and that's everywhere. You know, as much as you can get in your favor, get in your favor. For me, the extra water bill each month, if it puts a booner on my wall, or you know, <laughs> it was well worth it. So, look what guys pay for big hunting trips, right? Right. You know. I don't mind just washing clothes every night, you know, it's not too hard. You wash them, throw them in a dryer and grab them and throw them in the ozone and just do it around your daily habits. You know, you don't have to right. sit there and wait for it.
0: Right. <clears throat> just kind of a random thought. What do you think is the biggest, this is just off topic, but what do you feel is the biggest waste of, uh, of a hunter's money? throughout the entire year
1: ooh, biggest waste of money
0: maybe like a product that or or it may not be marketed as a gimmick but it turns out that hey man all these hunters are buying it and you just don't need it just don't need it man that's a hard one
1: um i don't want to say um on the show too much here (laughs) but uh, But you're putting me on the spot with that because I'm so I try to keep so minimal. Yeah, because you I mentioned you're old attention. school, right? A little bit, yeah. Okay, yeah. I mean, me personally, a, a biggest waste of money. I, I mean, it's going to sound probably crazy. Is a mechanical broadhead, which goes against a lot of people. I, I think you need a good solid fix. You know, just do a little bit. Maybe they tune a little harder to tune, but you give yourself a good solid fixed broadhead, and you know that's always going to put – A cut on a deer you know you're always going to get your cut you know you don't have to worry about anything opening nothing like that
0: and i guess
1: maybe one more i'll add to the combo is is we all need arrows but people are getting too into this light arrow and speed game they're all worried about speed and you know light arrows get speed i want something that's going to hit and pass through an
0: animal right you know right makes sense Is that kind of what you're looking for yeah you nailed it buddy (laughs) (laughs) all right let's see here um any final thoughts before we part our ways today about um you know how you've been successful on public lands um i guess one thing that i that we didn't ask and i'm you know i'm not known for having a set schedule on on this podcast uh, but um access routes right so let's say you find a an area on this public ground where you know you feel a tree stand would be good how do you do you try to hunt do you try to uh, find an access route for every wind or do you only hunt some of these places on specific winds and then just have one access route
1: a lot of them are specific winds because it's hard to get a lot of access routes where you're hunting you know what i mean there's not always you know when you're hunting you know kind of suburban neighborhoods and stuff like that, you might only have permission from one person to go in, but I will do my best. If I have to circle around a spot, you know, if I have a spot where I could walk directly 250 yards and get in that stand, but I know there's odds of kicking something up, but I could walk out a mile, drop in a ditch, rocky ravine, you know, hide because we have weird woods, you know, it might be a neighborhood, but then you get in the woods and it reminds you of the mountains. You know, it, it's, it's an odd terrain, but I will do everything to put it in my favor to not spook deer. I don't care how far I have to walk. I will hike miles to kill a deer if I have to, you know, right. it's each. And then there's spots I have where I can just kind of get dropped off on the road, hop up in 60, 70 yards and sneak in on the downwind side and no, nothing ever knows. I, I never laid a foot in the woods past where I'm going to be shooting. Right. So, you know, it, it all, everything's a little different but entry we didn't get on that access access is huge to me yeah that's that's a big thing there's so much we could talk about but you just have to you have to do it in favor and that i guess comes with knowledge time you know bumping deer and and you learn that stuff with time well not anybody's just going to listen to a podcast and turn around and put it all together the next time or the next year or the next three years you know you just take these little bits of information from Every person you know, you get and put it together, and just start slowly developing it. You know, I didn't just one day light bulb went off and I put all this stuff together. You know, I just keep messing up every year. You know, <laughs> that's yeah. it. And, and you keep you keep putting that puzzle together.
0: Right. So you, let's let's continue that thought on access real quick. Um, mm-hmm. You know, how how do you approach? You know. You mentioned, you know, you're willing to take the long way into a stand, Um, and we've heard Mm -hmm. some some guys who are other, you know, some other guys successful who say that the access in is more important than the actual tree stand location.
1: I mean, I kind of get what they're saying in a point. If If you have a good stand and you can't access it, then... There's no point in getting to it. Yeah, why go to it if you're just gonna blow deer out of there? And every deer in the neighborhood's gonna know. Right. So I 110% agree on that. But then there's also times in the year where you know it's November 8th and it's time, and you got to get on that ridge. And there's a chance you're gonna bump deer. Don't get me wrong. I bump deer walking in in the morning. Yeah. Feel like my hunt's over, and a put deer on the ground that same morning and good buck it's happened you know because they're moving i I like to hunt the rut that's i can't stress on that enough for where i hunt so i'm catching deer that might not even be there right now they might not be there until three o'clock in the afternoon they might have been three four patches of woods over hop some roads whatever and somehow got to me because they're just searching you know seeking chasing whatever so early season i don't do that game you know that's not me but I'm it's a lot more important than access I would say over that chase phase
0: for sure for sure well we've been chatting for about an hour man and I could probably chat for an hour more but uh I could yeah man I tell you <laughs> what thank you very much for uh taking time out of your day to come on the podcast and uh good luck this upcoming season
1: No, yeah. Thank you for having me. I hope it helps somebody out. I hope you don't get, you know, like a lot of bad ratings off of this. (laughs) And uh, good luck to you, also. Yeah. Keep in touch, and uh, I'll send pictures if I shoot something worth a picture next year.
0: And there you have it, my friends. Huge shout out to David for coming on the podcast. Huge shout out to you for tuning in, downloading, recording. Remember, go leave a review on itunes if you like this podcast i would love it if you would do that also huge shout out to each and every one of the partners of the podcast without their support my wife would be more pissed at me than what she currently is so huge shout out to ozonix exodus lone wolf ripcord deer lab wasp gearhead thank you very much for your support gentlemen and ladies guys follow me on twitter instagram facebook and we're gonna keep it very short today well wait maybe maybe we won't go buy a nine finger chronicles t-shirt the this the profits from this shirt went to conservation t-shirt at bustedrack.com and remember all of my profits will go to the national deer alliance so uh go check that out Other than that, it's getting close to that time of year again, where we're going to be out in the woods, whether we're hanging tree stands or hanging trail cameras, well, not so much trail cameras, but tree stands, (laughs) wear your damn safety harness. Have a good weekend.